listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 78. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with James Roberts, two-time Paralympic athlete for Great Britain, to talk about his journey and what he had to sacrifice to compete at this level. James shares how his disability motivated him and how it enabled him to come from a mindset of possibility. Even from his wheelchair, he feels that all things are possible. You just need to trust yourself, show up, and be willing to solve problems. This interview will highlight James' competitive mindset on how he sees obstacles as opportunities. Hey, James, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Grant. Man, I'm I'm so excited to have you on my show. I mean, to, to talk about your mindset as an athlete and your whole experience in your preparation as a Paralympic athlete. And not only am I very interested to hear about your journey, I know that my listeners are because uh, you and I have had a lot of conversations in the past. I've been on your podcast. I think you're you're just incredibly interesting and I love the way you think. So I can't wait to, can't wait to hear a little bit about kind of what you think about your mindset and your journey. I look forward to sharing it with you and your listeners. All right. So Mental toughness. When we think about being mentally tough, what what do you what does it mean to you to be mentally tough? Well, right off the bat, it's not a difficult question. Yeah. Um, for me, mental toughness. Uh, you can look at it from I think a multitude or a multiplexity of of ways of thinking. Uh, be it mental toughness, mental fortitude. I think it's being resolute, uh, resilient to the fact that you've got to overcome adversity, whatever that may be. Okay, for me, I think it started from day one. And okay, we've talked about this at length, uh, and I've done it on multiple other shows. I think even with my family throwing me, throwing me in at the deep end, from using a, a swimming analogy, uh, from day one, and not using my disability as a disadvantage, has probably given me mental fortitude, mental toughness, as I think from the outside perspective, people see my situation growing up as with a disability as an adverse. I never saw it as I looked at it as one of adaptability, flexibility, and how am I going to come up with a solution to this problem? And if we use a metaphoric wall that's been put placed in front of me, how am I going to get around it? Well, or how do I get over it? to get the other side do i go through it do i go around it do i go under it and come up with kind of a that's kind of um solution and mentality into ways of looking at that Mm, i love it when it comes to your disability do you do you look at these obstacles or barriers as opportunities um i think it depends on the way you look at it grant be it yes it's an opportunity and i think the way i've actually look at it probably in the face of adversity and look at it as a positive. And this was a Facebook post that was asked in a group, uh, amputee group, I think a while back, what are you most proud of to do with your, your disability? And I said, obviously, if it hadn't been for me having a disability, I wouldn't have had the career that I was lucky and fortunate to be able to have had for 10 years. So it's looking at that from a, sense of positivity but on the other hand you do question your identity um you do think of the what ifs of be it i case in point if i go back to my time as a teenager i wish nothing but being i'll use the term normal being a normal kid and my disability was kind of holding me back but that's maybe an identity crisis but okay everybody at that particular time frame maybe later sometimes right uh, uh, we'll have to overcome that definitely well and i can only imagine not only with just your disability and in growing with it and being with it and then having an incredible athletic career i know that you've had multiple uh, moments in your life where you had to be mentally tough can you share a moment where you had to be mentally tough within your athletic career? I think, well, the most poignant one would probably be, oh, this would be about a few months out from my first, which would have been my first Paralympics back in 2008. It, it seems such a long time ago now. <laughs> Speaking about it, it's over, almost over 10 years ago. But the, the most poignant fact of it is 
uh, that trials didn't go particularly well that day for whatever reason. I, I could have mentally bottled it or the pressure became too much that I uh, succumbed to what is my nerves uh, and be that even be possible because we talked about this at length in terms of being able to be in that right frame of mind. But for me, I was kind of put in a position of you've either got a decision to make of moving away from, well, not home, but moving away from university where I was based in South Wales and moving up to the Reading area, which is not far outside of London for where uh, GB Rowan is based. And I had to make the decision like that. It's you, you need to come up with it. And to put that into perspective, I was willing to almost throw away my academic, not eligibility, but my academic, I'll call it career, be it to, to throw everything at, at this sporting endeavor. And, and, and I think, okay, at the time, I probably wasn't thinking rationally, logically, because this would have been about Easter time. So I've only got a few months of my first year to finish. So the university was horrified. My family, when I talk about it, horrified. You're thinking, wow. James, why would you put what is your future on the line like that? And, and a, a lot of people did say, take a, take, take a step back and be it people within my inner circle. We've got your back. We will get you there but don't make these rash decisions, be it, because sport's only going to take you so far. And be, they had discussions behind the scenes, uh, be it Disability Sport Wales, Sport Wales, with my university to say, what allowances can we make for James so he, he's able to cement his place and obviously make it to the Paralympics in Beijing um, and do that. So be it, the university allowed me to in a sense, go part-time. I had to come back for, obviously, my final exams that year uh, and a group presentation, and that was it. And I could miss all the lectures in between. Mm. So uh, if it wasn't for probably all that support and their probably backing, be it Sport Wales, Disability Sport Wales, and, and Swansea University, I probably wouldn't have made it to that first game. Wow. Well, and I see this all the time with athletes that they have this opportunity to go professional or to train for the Olympics, but they still haven't finished their school. And, and so, and it's real, it's real for a lot of athletes out there. Cause they like, well, do I put my future off? Well, guess what? The, the fact that the ability that you have as a para athlete, right? We all have kind of have an expiration dates. Right. When you're an athlete, I mean, you can't be, you know, 50 years old. I mean, you can. I mean, that's a general statement, but in some sports you can't. But but why not seize the moment? Why not do it now? Why not chase that that Olympic dream? Because you can always go back for the most part and go back to school. I mean, I did. I mean, I went back to school when I was 40, um, but I didn't chase a You know, a dream like you did and have that opportunity. But I think, you know, it's a real situation. I think athletes are faced with that a lot when they have an opportunity like what you went through when they're going to school. I think, well, I, I probably, in hindsight and reflection, well, I made the right choice because I had to make it, it would have been, well, four years later, right. be it I'd finished my studies by then. Uh, and do you go full time again? It's like, well, I've seen what happened by making the first choice. Well, I've got nothing, so to speak, it's probably loosely not on the right to, words to use, but being held back by anything else. Right. Let me throw all my eggs in, into this basket and, and go full time. Give it a year because I put my postgraduate study on hold and that, that university was fine with that. Um, and, and see what happens if I don't make the team, I get dropped for some reason. I've at least... I've attempted to 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 start that journey again. Okay, that didn't happen. So something went from strength to strength. Uh, I did my postgraduate. That was probably the bad decision because I was based uh, London for majority of the time and having to travel up to to go to school. That that was very hard on my body. 
very tough mentally to be able to to switch off not so much because to go from one to the other is, is quite is at times very therapeutic but but mentally it was very draining because i'd be up at the crack of door and train um then jump on a train and then having to go in the classroom and and that is very uh, very tough because you you're mentally drained and that's some i think the worst case scenario and it only ever happened once. I had to obviously train Monday to Thursday off the top of my head, come up to university, be in the classroom for, I think, about three hours, come home, go again back into school in the morning, and then travel back down to London that Friday night and then train on the weekend. I was absolutely gassed at that. So I was like, this is going to, it's not going to kill me, but it's going to be, it's going to take its toll. So I think. I did make some some discussions with the school. Can I? It's not going to work out. One's going to. I'm either not going to make the team in London, which I don't want to happen, or my academics is going to suffer. But so can we come to a compromise where I? Well, what I came out in the end was a postgraduate certificate. So it's not fully the your masters, but it's like the beginnings of it. And at least I've got something to show for doing my postgraduate study. Got it. And this is also very real for athletes. Uh, how how would you balance that all the, how did you balance your energy? How did you balance the stress of, of training, school, life? Because this is real, especially for Olympics or for Olympians. Like they, you know, they're not getting paid a lot of money, you know, and they have to, they have to work a job and they have to train. It's, it's, it's grueling. So how'd you, how'd you like deal with it? And was there a balance that you found? I think, and I'll separate the two, be undergraduate and postgraduate now, Grant, to, to make my my um, point more significant. I think undergraduate, fine, because the, the I'll call it work-life balance, was in my, it was in my infancies of preparation, planning, would be it sport and the academia. But I think they complemented each other very well because be it I would focus 100% on the training when I was in that environment and be it when I had to t come time to hit the books it was a, an escapism I didn't find it as a chore and then vice versa it would they complemented each other I could uh look to and I, as I mentioned to you before it was you because my undergraduate was in sports science so I could utilize the two right. be it what I learned in the classroom more from a sports psychology perspective than bi biomechanics or physiolo physiology, I could implement it into, okay, you need to implement some of these strategies, these anecdotes into the real world. And then case in point, when it's time to write an assignment, let's take stuff what's in the, happened in the real world and let's put it in an assignment. So I think they complemented each other very, very well from that perspective, but where it, didn't go particularly to plan was probably postgraduate. I didn't probably think to it was going to have that greater impact. Me living, what watching, which is actually like 200 miles between the institution and, and where I was training, what impact that would have on on me physically, mentally, um, and the actual work like balance that was going to. I'd probably hadn't thought about it if I, I have probably in all honesty if I hadn't taken that gap year I probably would have been okay but mm -hmm. having taken that year out change institutions altogether I've got to learn a, a new way of marking how they teach how they look at your your work and go from that basis where if I maybe been at the same institution you know how everything works you, you you've maybe got a little bit more of that rapport with the lecturers, the doctors, uh, and such, that might have been easier. But I think from that basis, I didn't look at the complexities as much as I maybe should have. Got it. Got it. Well, I think it's it, like I said, it's um, it's real, and there's so many different dynamics, and people have to deal with different stuff. But it seems like you know, at least you got to a point where you can at least you got the certificate, but you you got to a point, you got to a solution for you to to make it happen. 
oh yeah, but I had a vision being a doctor in, <sighs> in academia. And, and once I got to master's level, I was thinking, no, 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 yeah. this is not this, me talking about being a doctor or having a doctorate. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> that was, you know what? I I share I share the same the vision. I when I went back to school, I was like, man, I'm I'm getting a master's, but it'd be cool to to get my doctorate or PsyD and be licensed. And then I'm like, wait a second. I mean, by the time I'm done with this, I'm gonna be almost 50 years old. I'm like, that ain't gonna work. So I I, I settled with the masters. But um, but going back to you. Uh, before we get into your mindset as an athlete and your journey as as a Paralympic athlete, can you share with my listeners your what your disability is? Femoral dysplasia. It is. If I go in simple terms, it'd be similar to for for visualization perspective for the, for your listeners, it would be similar to an amputee. However, mine is a congenital condition. Be it. And see if I can get this right now. Uh, I'm missing my femur, which is the top half of the leg. I've got a small tibia and a small fibula, which would be the bottom half of the leg. So in 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 all realness and all honesty, I don't have a knee, so it would be the bottom half of my of my leg attached to my hip. So it'd be everything below the knee is what my um I can't think of the medical term for it uh disability side that's not the right word for it but that's what i can come up with tonight uh would be that one and it was attached to my hip and and also with that disability the top of whichever bone it is for it would normally be your femur would be attached to your hip socket i don't actually have the socket per se so that the actual top of the bone is floating in muscle so that muscle has to work exponentially to to function mm. now have they come up with any any advancements to where they can create kind of like make a hip socket and make the femur work or is that is it uh, not that i'm aware of no the only surge or elective surgery that i could have had is a canadian procedure where they f- break the the bone and flip the ankle joint, and what is my heel would become my knee joint. But my family didn't want to make that decision for me at a young age. They wanted to give me all the information, and I make that decision for myself as a teenager. And I thought, well, the bones aren't strong enough. I'm thinking long term. Okay, if we have this elective one surgery, how many surgeries I'm going to subsequently have to have? As a result, so as I took the decision as well, there's no point in having one surgery for the sake of it. Got it, got it. No, that makes sense, and and I feel you when you say that because I mean, obviously, I have I'm not going through, and I haven't gone through what you've gone through, but I've had two hip replacements, and I've had multiple surgeries on my shoulder and my hand due to football. So like when it when it comes to being under and and under the knife, uh, I got tired of it, and you know who wants to go through all that? So. I totally understand. Um, let's talk about sports, man. Like, what's really cool is that this disability that you've dealt with, again, you have not let it stop you as an athlete. It seems like it's fueled your competitive spirit, and we'll get into that in a second. But you've played a ton of sports, ranging from swimming, rowing, sitting volleyball, wheelchair, basketball. So when you think about all those sports, like, how would you describe your mindset? And do they? does your mindset change from sport to sport? Oh, that's a good question, Graham. Um, I would say no, because it's deep rooted in sport, in 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 the actual complexity, not complexity, but but the overall actual way about. I would go into hitting the field, going in the pool, yeah, going on the court. It's it's very much one in itself. Okay, there's different aspects of. You talked about okay, swimming is an individual sport. I wouldn't have the same. Um, mental attitude as I would be with volleyball, basketball, and rowing to a certain extent is a little bit of both. You can't have, the, you've got to be one in one. So, and I actually go back and, and, and to use my case and use my actual point here, I actually said to my family after would be my last stage of swimming, I would never go into a team sport. And, and I've actually spent the 
majority of my athletic life in team sport. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Well, out of all those those sports that you played, is there one that that you gravitated to the most, and the one you just felt more connected to? Um, I would say rowing, and it's a weird one because be it the only connection family-wise that I have to the sport was my aunt did it at university. I'd never been anywhere near a rowing boat uh, in my life. Okay, I would have seen Oxford and Cambridge on the television, well, more, almost every year of, of my existence, but that is as close as I would have got to the perceived elitist sport that it is. And, and I think that is the misconception a lot of people have, uh, I would say around the world, more specific probably in the UK, it's, oh, it's elitist. It's like, mm, I can assure you that it's not, especially not at the at the international stage. A lot of those kids are coming from, be it in the UK, we call them state schools so or public, public schools for you. Mm-hmm. They're public school educated. They're not coming from these private schools. Lower down, lower down as you start in the sport, yes, case in, you are correct because th- those schools have the money and it's better opportunities for kids to be able to progress in that sport. But it's because you're using that analogy of, okay, uh, be it of Eton, Harrow, um, I'm trying to think of big schools within the UK, the big private schools of be it um, diplomats and things will will send their kids to, Mm. you're thinking, oh, yeah, the whole sport's like that. I was thinking, well, I've been in it, I've lived it, I can assure you it's not. Some people don't believe myself. I'm not going to change your opinion. Right. But I, can, I don't come from a private school and I went into the sport. I didn't go in there with any misconceptions. It's like, well, if it's going to give me a vehicle to be able to progress in sport and to do well, okay, I've just happened to be a natural at it. So I'm going to, I'm going to roll with it. Mm. You know, it's funny, and this is this is a general statement, at least in the United States, and maybe this this is probably maybe just my own perspective, but rowing is one it's a grueling sport. People don't understand, man. It's I mean, it's a it's it's a fun sport, but it's hard. I mean, the, the training that you have to do is tough. Uh, but generally speaking, people don't like grow up when they're like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, going, I want to be a rower. And, and, and I had, I had this one athlete who was on the Olympic team. Her name is Susan, Susan Francia. She was two-time gold medalist. And she even said that too. She's like, I, I, I don't see a lot of women or men as they're growing up wanting to be a rower. She's like, when I was in college, I was actually failing in college at university of uh, Pennsylvania, my freshman year, I was partying too much. She said, and she's like, you know what? And I was walking by and said, I have to refocus myself. And she was walking by this flyer on campus about tryouts and so she's like oh rowing that'd be cool maybe maybe this might focus me and then she becomes a two-time you know gold medalist but it wasn't like this dream you know i had asia evans on my show too um and she's a bobsledder so she said the same thing you don't wake up in the morning or grow up as a kid going i want to be a bobsledder you know so it's just as you get these opportunities um it's just funny how these opportunities come up for you to to enjoy and connect with all these other sports out there. Well, I think it's the same with me. It's it's it had never dawned on me to try the unorthodox, I would call it, uh, of sports. Be it okay for the for the majority of people, they would probably gravitate towards American football, basketball. Uh, ice hockey, depending on where they are in in the world. Um, trying to think of other main main sports, be it that baseball is right. another one. Mm. It's be, I think it will probably come down to you know television cover. Obviously, our football in Europe or so- soccer, it, it's because to a certain degree, it's in the mainstream. It's it's on television all the time. So it's like well, and probably kids don't think to this to a certain extent. It's probably a certain extent brainwashing. It's like, well, do you really want to do that sport, or is it because it's on the television and you see it all the time mm. that okay, I I want to do this. Whereas if you maybe questioned it and said, well, what am I passionate about? And I think I was asked this a number of years ago. How do you feel about being on the outside perspective, looking in on these other sports 
and you get the the attention every four years. I think I I can and I probably shocked the journalist. I thought, well, we have to accept it because it's not going to. Ch- I don't think I said that, but it's not going to change those those um, beliefs or how they're going to publicize certain sports. You just have to come to accept it when it's your time to be in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. It's your time to shine. Right. Yeah, you got to seize the moment. You know, if if you know if it's there, go for it. Before we get into your your experience in the Olympics and the Paralympics, what let's talk about your motivation. What what motivates you, or what motivates your competitive spirit? That's a good one. I think it's changed over the last couple of days speaking to uh, <laughs> Donny Boy- Boyvin because he was he was saying, "Well, what's your motivator?" Because how I looked at it, and it's got me to be a little bit reflective on it from a from a certain perspective because I always looked at external motivation. Uh, and you'll probably testify how I said that to you is something bad where he flipped it on his head and said, well, what about osmosis as you look at it as fluidity through you and you use competition as a source of fuel and actually to ignite your fire within you to, to actually make you push forward. Uh, and he used the analogy of using uh, how would you make a colt run faster? You make you put it against a Mustang. So it got me thinking. It's like, okay, from that basis, when do I operate at my best? When I'm very much, be it, I don't know. For, it, it is a good one because it's either through frustration, anger, and something switches on, and, and I actually respond to it. So I thought, okay, in all honesty. External motivation for me, per se, is not bad. It is a vehicle to get the best out of me. So I think it, it is. I I would argue to certain extent probably some inner belief, but I don't utilize it as well as I, or, or as best I can, as opposed to negative. And I used to look at it as bad and and term it as you know egotistical about the result. Whereas if you flip it like that, it's like you've got a point. Right. Exactly. You know, and it's funny. I think it's okay to actually be motivated by external things. I don't think I think it's dangerous though when you're a hundred percent motivated by the external or something that's extrinsic. I think you know the the thing is is when it comes to motivation, it's that intrinsic motivation. What is what is it motivating you? What is challenging you? What's getting you excited to make you better than what you did yesterday or in the last game, right? So when we're focusing on that and and who knows what the science is, but I've heard that if you were going to balance intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic, it, there should be like a 60-40 mix. So there's like 60% intrinsic, 40% extrinsic. So and I've been I've been using that with with athletes and it's been it's been helpful. But I, I you know, I tell them it's not a bad thing for you to get motivated by getting a scholarship or or getting uh, written in the newspaper. If that motivates you, cool, but you gotta balance it out with some intrinsic motivation as well. Now you talked about anger. Did you say that is was that something that you used as far as motivation? Well, I did the other day at a basketball tournament, but I I, I use this into some context because it's not aggression per se as right. going out there and go be reckless. Right. But in terms of like controlled aggression and I'm talking about you you your sport more specifically as a American football that what that's what it's built upon. It's it's it'll be Oh, it was the manner in, in which the other team was hooping and hollering, and it's like it got under my skin. It's like, well, I'm not having any of this. I'm going to have some say <laughs> into how this game has outcome. And I, and, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to throw in the towel. I was like, I'm getting a little bit irate with the teammates. And things aren't going well. But it's like, that's only going to make me play worse. That's going to make the others play worse because you can. The the body language gives everything away. So I was like, well. And this is is a three on three game, so there's only a ten minute game. Um, I looked up the scoreboard, and it's like, well, there's four minutes to go. We're losing, but let me throw caution to the wind. Be it, I'm gonna try and um, negate that confidence that, that the other team has got, and be it, you're hooping and hollering, but there's still a long time on the clock, right? And I, and and we can still have a chance of winning it. Uh, and, and I don't, it's, I think they switched off to a certain extent because you're thinking. Uh, I when in terms of throwing the caution to the, to the wind, uh, I'm not one for shooting a lot of threes. But in the three on three game, it's only worth two. But it's obviously worth more than shooting inside the arc. 
and I was like, well, we're losing by, and I think it was about five points. I was like, oh, let me just shoot this up and see, see what happens. Mm -hmm. Make that first one. Okay. Oh, let's do another one because then it makes it nice and close. That one, and, and they backed off. You're thinking, well, if I made the first one, why are you backing off? <laughs> right. And, and that one went in. I'm thinking, okay. Let's do the third one. And I think if that one, it, it didn't go in, but subsequently that would probably un unhinge them completely thinking, okay, he swung the game completely in a matter of, I'll say probably maybe give or take two minutes. But I thought they, I think within themselves, I would call arrogance probably set in, oh, we've got this sewn up and we've won it. And, and I thought, well, I'm not having any of this. So it was, and so is it fair to say that you had some anger in that in that moment? Uh, what before I took the first three? Uh, no, but it was probably before that. It was okay. be it. Oh, how would he? It's the body language. It was. It was that bench that irritated me. Not 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 per se the people, three people that were on court, but it's I, I made the one I was defending. Well, you're not getting anywhere near the basket. We're getting the ball. So. Right, right. You're gonna have to work a lot harder than you have all game. Uh, and I'm gonna make you you um, well either we're well, not either regret regret having to go up against me. You're gonna make him pay uh, for it. Not be as heavy, and then defensively I'm gonna be your worst nightmare. And I think they would <laughs> switch on by switching and, and all sorts of things. So you're gonna give me that amount of space. And I've I don't the only time I can think to me be that calm and relaxed would be the final in Beijing and I've never and, and, and I don't know it takes some awareness to be aware of how much time is left right. what the score is and and actually to action what you need to do mm. so I'm thinking okay you're in the not the highest pressure situation of the day yes but not I've been in higher pressure situations but to be able to execute at that level of you could call it mental fortitude, mental toughness, because you're having to compute all this information and make the right decision. Right. Well, and I bring up the anger just because, I mean, I've there's many, many athletes I've worked with, and even when I was playing football, um, I, I always had this idea, and I think generally speaking, uh, athletes might have the idea that playing angry or dealing with anger is bad. And, and anger is an emotion. So if you can control the anger and actually use the, the energy of it and make sure that you're using it right and moving it forward, I'm all for it. I've seen people like yourself, as you're talking, use their anger to their benefit. Now, like you said earlier, if you're reckless and you lose control of it and you start punching people or whatever it is, start screaming at people, yeah, anger is bad. But you have to control it and use it the right way to actually get the benefit from it. I think it's like an off on an off switch, but I think through okay, that's probably through meditation and and things of that nature, mindfulness, mind and, and looking at my mindset in a reflective way, I probably got better at that. And it does take occasionally when I see myself from a, a business perspective get frustrated. It's like James, take a step back and evaluate the situation and the scenario that you're within. It's like that's just a, a situation that you're getting irate with, be it it's not actually that moment in time that you're frustrated. Mm. It's little things building up, be it throughout the day, throughout the week. I'm not going to go as far as a month, but, and you've come to a boiling point and you, that last person has kind of pushed you off the cliff, so to speak. And it's that that's, that made you think that way. Whereas I think in a sporting sense, and I've actually reflected on it, be it, okay, what we now a couple of days later, that's actually me at my best. So thinking, okay, wow, what do you do to actually purposely do <laughs> replicate, to wind you yeah. up so you play better? So I think uh, on Tuesday we had practice and and that switch came on. You're thinking, well, what what per se happened? And it was the coach. I I think it clicked in my in my subconscious. Uh, be it the coach said, oh, you've got to go against this certain person in practice to, to warrant your place in a starting position. 
So I, he was there at practice. Like, okay, we're going to start from day one, <laughs> and I'm going to make it difficult for you. And you have to accept that you're probably coming off the bench. And and and, and if I can do that, yeah. there must be to a certain extent I'm able to tap into that subconscious and be uh, what we talked about, be it off air when you had when I had you on my show, and be it when we when we were discussing it on the show. That's my baseline. And I know in certain terms I don't fall below that. And I, and I'm if and I if I do I'm accountable to myself to say well why 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 aren't you able to set that intensity for be it, I don't know physical reason mental and you actually look upon well what's the reason as to why it's dipping and what do you need to do about it to stay at that level for a, a longer period of time. Right. No, it's it's a lot of self awareness. You got to kick that in for you to. To, to gauge it and, and make a good decision on it. Now let's, let's talk about Paralympics. Let's talk about in 2008. What was it like to share that experience? What was it like competing at that level? Uh, what kind of emotions were you dealing with? How did you prepare for that moment? Well, they were all over the place. If I'm all <laughs> honest. <laughs> Honestly, because we were selected to be I can't remember how many days out before the actual games themselves. We were on training camp in, in, in Spain and we were actually given the green light. And I think once we come home from, from that training camp, I think it was about 100 days to go, people said, well, why aren't you ecstatic of being selected? And I think it's built to the core of be it my family values. We are the very much re- kind of pessimistic, I'll say realist, going towards pessimistic mm. and I was kind of bringing up well any number of things can happen between now and now and then I could get injured um okay those didn't transpire but any number of things could have occurred and I wasn't gonna be jumping f- full-heartedly into euphoria as uh, I finally done it I've got over the line and, and uh, made a Paralympic team and I was like I'm not going to rest on my laurels. I'm going to still put in the hard work that it needs to be done to be at optimum. I'm not saying the other person wasn't because it's not for me to say if they were and they weren't. But I didn't feel that I was at be it optimum physically, mentally to be at my best. But oh, But I think once... I got to the airport, it's like it probably dawned me, yes, I finally made it. Okay, that's 100 days later. And it's the, the, the journey's actually gone full circle. And it's like, yes, I've finally done it. I've, I've made a, I won't say a childhood dream, but be it, it was a, ch- it was, um, a dream of mine once I'd made my first uh, national team of, well, I've made the national team now. Let's go on and push on to try and make the Paralympic team that would have been okay it was four or five years later but that was the the next hurdle to accomplish did you ever find yourself when you were competing was it um like how did you deal how did you control those motions did you ever sit there and go holy smokes i'm on the big stage right now or was it just another opportunity for you to compete as an athlete Ooh, that's a good one um I think those sorts per se has only arisen once, and that was actually my first, uh, my first, my last competitive uh, rowing regatta uh, at the 2009 uh, World Champs in Poland, and and I think those only came over, and, and you can, and I have watched it back on TV. You can see it in my face, really, in terms of the, the nerves. I I look like. Um, Per se, I'd seen a ghost. I looked absolutely petrified. And I've never looked like that, be it, to my knowledge, since or before that. But I think it was because it was the last swan song, should I say. It's, It was all maybe putting more pressure on them than I needed to be. It's like, well, this is my last, uh, my last opportunity to come out with a medal in that sport. And then all the others... Okay, they were nerves, and the analogy I'll use is be it when I was swimming, I'd be not a nervous wreck, but be apprehensive before the race, 
But once I got on that bit, the starting block, in the blocks, I would kind of relax. But in that moment, uh, 10 years ago, oh. I was all right once we got going. Right, but, right. But, but being the, the uh, minutes between being called to your blocks and, and starting, I would say I've never been as petrified. Mm. I say maybe sport has come close since because it's like you don't get a you don't get that much opportunity. Um, be it if I use basketball now, we don't make the playoffs that often. So it's I've I've one of the players who's been to both championships that our team's been fortunate fortunate enough to to be in attendance with. So I'm thinking, well, okay, the first time we were here, we were seeded number one, and it all went. It all went wrong. Okay, we got a slightly better same team this time round. I'm still apprehensive because things can go wrong. So, but that one came to fruition. We were national champions. So, but right, that mentality of living on the edge. Be it, I should be a little bit more positive because of the mannerisms that my body's portraying. Be it. Uh, I see it as in that moment anxiety, worry, n- and nervousness. Right. Well, as I'm speaking to you right now, I, I I've got similar feelings, and that's excitement. So, right. so I need to be, <laughs> I think, at times, think more rationally, more logically. As well, what state do I want to feel? Do I want to feel bad or negative? Should I say, or do I want to be positive and and um, the sky's the limit kind of mentality is, and, and obviously most people would probably refer to the latter than the former. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a great lesson because as an athlete at all levels, we deal with pressure. And I think as athletes, we need to have a relationship w- with pressure. I do this quickly like on the very front end of working with any athlete or team. You know, what typically at the high school level, I always ask like, what is what is pressure to you? Is it positive or negative? What's your relationship? Most of the time, they say it's negative, right? Why, right? And it's everything that you were saying: worry, anxiety, uh, the fear of failing. You know, what if all that? And it's just getting them to actually embrace pressure. Why can't pressure be a privilege? Like I want to be pressured. What makes diamonds pressure, right? So let's let the goal let's let's be diamonds, right? So. I think that as humans, we're also, we're, we're meaning making machines. We make meaning out of everything. It's how we kind of go through our world and existence, right? So for you, which I think is an awesome lesson is that you've competed through your whole life. You've done some incredible things, but because it was your last race, because you put all this meaning that uh, on it and I need to get a medal or I, whatever that pressure was, it actually worked against you. Like, you know what I mean? Because it was the meaning you had. So I think for athletes, when they're listening to this, if you can go into a situation and have a good positive meaning, your body language and everything else will change. It's like when you think of the Super Bowl, the World Series, the NBA Finals. I understand it's like a big, big game and we're going to put all this meaning on it. But nothing's changed. Like nothing's changed about the rules, the court, everything. Nothing's changed. It's just the meaning that we put on it. So... I think if we have a good relationship on meaning and pressure, I think we'll be a little bit more in control. So with that, I want to ask you this question that I ask everyone. When you reflect on your whole career as an athlete, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Oh, my God. (laughs) Right? There's a deep one. Oh. The most I have learned from myself on reflection. Oh, I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, (laughs) I would say probably to be more positive and look at uh, look at instead of looking at the outcome, look at where you what 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 have you been able to achieve? Be it if I'd had myself as be the young James as a as an elementary school kid or be it the one who started on the journey at 15 and be able to speak to me now 
and say, well, this is what you're going to be able to achieve in, be it, well, 15 years and look back upon, be it 20 years and be able to look back upon, yeah. be, well, this is what success really looks like, as opposed to be um, what I would probably envision probably at that age as a teenager, you know, the superficial things of, of, of the, and the materialist aspect of, the medals, the accolades, and look at it. Well, what what is the real success, really? It's it's. I've had the privilege of representing my country in a multitude of sports. I've been able to try to travel the world uh, and meet some great people along the way. And and I wouldn't change that for anything. It's I think I think in a nutshell, it, it's probably encapsulating the entirety of the journey and not picking out certain aspects of it. Got it. And, and out of curiosity, I know when you said earlier about kind of your family culture and the way that you were brought up was kind of that borderline realist, pessimistic type of view. Do you feel like when you do reflect on all your experiences as an athlete, has it changed from that? Are you are you coming from more of an optimistic standpoint, more positive perspective? I try to. I try to look at the um, optimistic side of things. Uh, but I think this is something you brought up with me anyway, because it's like you, even if you're a realist, it's, it's got you can't be down the middle. You're either one side of the tracks or, you're, <laughs> or the other. It's you're either optimistic or you're pessimistic in the view of how you view things. So I, I, and this is probably where people will bounce ideas off. We be it with sport nowadays, it'd be well, how are you so optimistic on your outlook? Be it after practice how are you able to laugh and joke about it well because i put everything in in into the um into the all my eggs into one basket and to make the, the best practice it can be if i had a bad if i had a bad practice i won't i won't dive i won't delve right into it straight away i'll let it i'll let it uh stew i'm not stew that's probably not the right word i'll let it Similar. come out my thought presses yeah. and, 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 and relax a bit it's like well and maybe take a step back well and look at different sec well did you did, for the majority of it did you do your job if the answer is yes okay this is a bad section of it but i can approve upon it and, and look so i get people i think they're starting to gravitate more to my thinking um i think if we go back to the the the, the tournament on the weekend People will say, well, why don't you have the same mindset as James? Be it you're delving so deep and actually magnifying every mistake that you make and make it a big deal about it. Right. And I think because, okay, my role in shooting within that that game is exponentially have to increase. And it's not normal for me to take as many shots as I did in, in that game. I didn't dwell upon it. It's a learning process. It, it just shows, well, that range needs to, to improve. Mm. Uh, if I'm under pressure, that separation needs to improve. And I didn't dwell upon it. It's like, well, I've took the shot. Oh, well, people have missed. Air balls. Uh, and, and I wasn't the only one shooting shooting things like that. Or if it's short. or I'm just not dwelling upon it. It's like, well, I'm going to have to. And I was joking about it. It'd be, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be a case of. How did I put it? You don't want to look at the shooting percentage at the end of the day. And I, okay, in seriousness, it, 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 it's not a good, it's not a good thing. But I wasn't looking at the magnitude of how many shots I was taking. Uh, and I think the only statistic that our team manager took from it is the baskets we made. Okay, and I, and I looked at the final um, shooting standings within with our team and how many how many players played in it. I was ranked top five and that's not normal so it's like okay i'll take a positive from that uh, you've made this amount of amount of points in the game and i think in the men's bracket i think it's third so i was like okay i don't take as many shots as uh, as most of these in five on five so i'll take the positive from it so i'm obviously improving and to a certain extent okay that the the the, 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 the two threes that i took in the game those are re really outliers it's that was uh it was if um and i'll coin it uh one of my old coaches used to say you don't know which james is going to turn up 
uh, and I think it's the I think it's the one that was um, the one that takes no prisoners in, in that particular moment. It's like okay, I'm gonna throw caution to the wind and just see what happens. If it doesn't go in, oh well. Yeah. If it does, that's right. One positive in the right direction. Next one goes in. Okay, we're back in the game. I make the I make that third one. We've got a game of it, and I think that confidence within uh, the other team and actually the momentum is probably all gone towards us. So I think it's looking at it from that perspective of looking at things from an optimistic perspective. I think it depends in the scenario. I would say I would probably steer more towards the optimistic mm. in a sporting environment, but I think that comes back down to confidence. It's you are beat yourself, your audience. We are in, a, in, a, in an environment of comfort. It is something we've known from a very young age. So we are going to be very optimistic in the outlook of uh, where we're going and where we're going forward. Whereas maybe from an, an outward perspective, somebody would say, what you do is barbaric insanity. Why would you do that to your body? Because, okay, that's looking at that in case in point, look, they're looking at it from a pessimistic perspective because they wouldn't want to do that to themselves. Where I think where it comes somewhere of passion, it doesn't right. matter if I get paid, I'm going to get any uh, recompense, I'm going to get any awards, I'm going to do it anyway. It makes me happy. Got it. Well, thanks for sharing that for sure. Before we sign out here, if if you were to talk to somebody or work with somebody that had a disability, uh, that was an athlete, um, what would you say? What would, what would be your message? Well, if you're liking these hard questions today, <laughs> <laughs> what would I say to that athlete? Um, don't hold, I would say don't hold yourself back. It, 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 it's, it's looking at things. Um, okay, it's all right to have a glass ceiling because you can punch through it. If you put actual limiting beliefs on yourself, be it a metaphoric concrete ceiling, it's going to be a lot harder to break through that. It, 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 it's not hiding away from the fact and it's actually using your disability as i would call it motivation as to to fuel that fire at the early stages of of, of your career utilize that that um the axe to grind the the actual chip on your shoulder to actually push you forward awesome beautiful man well, I appreciate your your energy and your time today and sharing your story and your thoughts and your mindset. I know my uh, listeners are going to enjoy it too. So again, thank you so much for being on my show. It's been my pleasure, Grant.